Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 390, and today we are talking about books being released on November 29th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly, hello! Hello! Welcome back for that not-all-that-rare fifth Tuesday show. What is this, the fourth one this year? Third one? I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know. Third or fourth, something like that. So last week, which is weird to say because we're actually recording this before last week's show even airs, but (laughs) last week Patricia and I did the gift guide. So you and I are going to talk about some books that came out last week and this week and things in paperback and books. You know, I love books. I know that you all find that hard to believe, but (laughs) I love books, but sometimes I just get infected with this feeling. I call it the dog rolling on its back in the grass feeling where I'm just like extra wriggly about books. And I've been carrying that feeling for the last few days, probably because I've been on a really good reading streak. I feel like I've been through a lot of reading slumps this year where I've just been like, didn't like it, didn't like it, didn't Mm -hmm. like it. And so I've probably just jinxed myself, but (laughs) I've been on this really great reading streak. I just read the new Patrick DeWitt, which I think I mentioned on this upcoming show for the gift guide that I was reading, uh, and I finished it. And there was a sentence in there that I'm not going to tell you because it'll spoil everything. It made me cry for like 20 minutes. And I was so happy about that. I was just like, I love books so much. And just, (laughs) it was just amazing. It's just like these like, you know, 16 or 17 words. And it just floored me for like 20 minutes. I was like, You know, so it was great. And I think you like books, too. I do. I have been in a... I don't even want to say reading slump because that's not fair. I've just been reading slower than I used to, but I'm mm-hmm. also... I'm I'm in school still, so, like, I've got reading for school, and that takes up a lot of my time and capacity, and... Sure. I mean, I got out of town for a long weekend this weekend and did get a lot of reading done. Like, it was great. I I realized I'd only read one book for the show, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if I can read a second one, I'll be in good shape. But I finished three this week. <gasps> Amazing. So, yeah, and that's on top of, like, I finished an audiobook that I was listening to that has nothing to do with the show, and then I also, like... When I can't get myself in a place where I'm ready to, like, devote to an audiobook or pick one, I will listen to a bunch of the podcasts that have, like, you know, piled up in my Mm -hmm. feed. So I I listen to those, too. And I feel like I've finally kind of gotten into a rhythm. And my class ends in two weeks. So I'm, like, looking at December and January going, oh, yeah, I'm going to catch up on a whole bunch of stuff, like – When I sit down to actually make that a priority, like, I can do it. Yeah. It hasn't hasn't been able to be a priority 
recently. Well, you also have a small child. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, I that's do. a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, I say about like my cats are unmanageable on the best of days. I can't imagine like a child who can like use opposable thumbs and grab things and you know. <laughs> yes, just yesterday. Um, I had been meaning to clean off the top of the shelving unit that we have in our sunroom, and I finally got around to doing it, and then I got distracted, because I was like, I gotta put stuff up there. I got distracted, and then I couldn't find one of my cats, and it took me oh, like no. 10 minutes to realize that he was sitting up on top of it. He had somehow managed to leap from the floor up to the very top of the shelving unit, because he was like, hey, look, space! And I, I was like, where's the cat? Where's the cat? Oh. And he was just sitting up there watching me run around, like, laughing at me, I'm oh. sure. Like, ha, ha, ha. I, at least I can, like, control my brain a little when I get anxious about the cats, like, missing and realize that no doors have been opened, so they have to be in the house somewhere, right. Right? Yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I just can't find them. They're so mean to me. Oh, anyway. All right. We covered cats, children. <laughs> now we're going to talk about books. But first, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I'm really excited about this first book. <laughs> and I'm kind of surprised about it. It's Butts, a backstory by Heather Radke. Now, first of all, I was like, mm, book about butts. You know what a baby I am about bodily functions and, and things like that. I did read that book last year about the history of like plumbing and human waste, which was fascinating. And I, I can't believe I actually made it through it. But I was like, okay, butts. 
And it has <laughs> it has the perfect cover. It just has, you know, the peach emoji on it. But then I thought, you know, WWRD, what would Rebecca do? Rebecca would want us to talk about this book on the podcast if she was still on the show. <laughs> she would definitely be covering this one. And that, you know, I thought like, okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, and it is one of the most fascinating books I have ever read. Like, just easily. I could go on and on and on about it for the whole show today, which I'm not going to. But it's astounding to me, the stuff that I learned. Hmm. I never considered 95% of what Radke discusses in this book. Now, this book is just about butts. It's just about the butt itself. The outer part, the gluteus maximus, which is the term that everyone remembers learning in school. Haha, <laughs> so funny we learned the gluteus maximus is the largest muscle in the human body. And, I, like, everybody remembers learning that in school. And according to the internet, it is large and powerful because it has the job of keeping the trunk of the body in an erect posture. It is the chief anti-gravity muscle that aids in walking upstairs. Uh, so that's your butt. But, you know, it's behind us, like pun intended. And... <laughs> It's amazing that something that is so critical to our survival and general everyday living is something that we can't see and don't think about that often. You know, it is a source of anxiety and shame. It is a source of comedy. It is a, you know, sexual object. And this is the history of, let's see, when humans first developed butts. Um, you know, because a long time ago, there were Neanderthals that didn't have a posterior that stuck out from their backside. It was just like flat. And we learned about like when they first developed butts and why that is and what it does. Like I was saying, you know, the definition, you know, helps you stand upright and, and walk. You would be unsurprised to learn that the general feeling that people have about their butts, especially women, and about what butt sizes and shapes are, you know, acceptable and fashionable are rooted in the opinions of, you know, white men from centuries ago. Uh, and how the fashion industry dictates, you know, what size is fashionable at what time, and how there are different standards and expectations for women, you know, for different races. Uh, we learned about butt models. You know, there was a woman in history who was, like, her butt was, like, held up to, like, the highest standards, and it was what people wanted to aspire to, and, you know, the models that actually make the butt shapes that they use for our genes today still... Uh, she revisits the Sir Mix-a-Lot video Baby Got Back. There's also a discussion of a human versus horse race. You would not think that humans could outrun horses, but you would be wrong. And it happens every year at this race. Uh, and part of it is because we have butts. It's also a story of Radke's own butt. She remembers the first time that she was made to feel bad about the size of her butt. Uh, she hadn't given it any thought before then. You know, she was like in, in middle school or something. Uh, she remembers the first time she was sexually harassed about her butt. Uh, she also interviews women about their own butts. There is so much to think about. I think I've said the word butt more times than I probably have all year just in this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I, I learned so much. Like, for instance, along with our extended posteriors... The whites of our eyes and our arched feet are exclusive features to humans in the animal kingdom. Like, no other animal has those things. Something I never thought about before. Just wild, did not know that. There's so much to think about. I obviously want to give content warnings for discussions of sexism, sexual harassment, racism, and body shaming, because there, you know, is a lot of people talking about... It, it's these interviews that she does with these women, it feels like, you know, a lot of things... No one seems to be happy with what they have. 
like no matter you know what size or shape it is you know or they've been made to feel bad for whatever reason about what size or shape their butt is you know it's it's so interesting and just fantastic i'm just gonna stop right there so it is called butts a backstory by heather radke that sounds so good. And I've had the audio of this sitting in my queue for a while. And I think you may have just convinced me to move it up. Yes. If you don't listen to it, you will be really bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> That's two horrible dad puns in two shows. <laughs> oh, that was so good. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so my first pick is not going to be that punny, um, but it is called House of Yesterday by Diva Zargarpur. And it always strikes me when I pick up a YA book and the main character is not 17 or 18 or preparing for whatever adulthood might hold for them. YA tends toward older teens rather than those on the younger or middle parts. And so I was really pleased when I picked this one up and it features a 15-year-old main character. And I cannot emphasize enough how spot on she is for a 15-year-old. It's super fun and refreshing to be in that headspace and like really be with a teen who is like figuring out what it is to be a teen. So the story. Sarah lives with her mother and her grandmother who struggles with memory loss. And Sarah comes from a large Afghani Uzbek family with plenty of cousins and aunts and uncles who always seem to show up to hang out. They are all close, having grown up near one another. And um, Sarah's grandmother and grandfather were immigrants to Long Island because of war in Afghanistan. And they had 11 kids, 10 girls and one boy. Or so the story goes. So Sarah, uh, Sarah's mother and father are getting divorced, and it's been really tough on Sarah. She feels alone in, th- in the experience, even though she knows a couple of her cousins have been through this too. Their father abandoned them, but Sarah's father is still around, which she feels is salt in the wound. Her mother and her father, despite their relationship being over, still work together as house flippers, and... Sarah's dad has been in a new relationship, despite the fact that divorce papers have not even been signed. And in between all this, Sarah is being forced to take part in her parents' newest renovation at Sumner House. And she's also dealing with this abrupt end to her friendship with neighbor and former best friend Sam. So she's feeling lost and she's really grieving what her life looked like up to this point. The first day... That she is at Sumner, though, might change the entire course of Sarah's life. She has the responsibility of taking photos of the before state of the house. And as she does this, she sees a ghost who looks just like her grandmother wandering the halls. No one else sees this. And her mother tells her to let it go. But of course, she's 15 and dealing with a whole lot of stuff, so she can't let it go. Especially as she starts hearing her grandmother talk about how she had 12 kids. And as she names them off, she includes a name that Sarah had never heard before. Is it possible that the vision Sarah Sarah saw of her grandmother at Sumner House could be related to this 12th child or this 11th daughter? So she's now decided she's taking it upon herself to learn, and along the way, she will be not only visited by the potential secret daughter of her grandmother's, but she'll create further chasms with Sam and get herself in deep trouble as she steals a car, as she sneaks out late, and as she treats her father's new partner with, like, the coldest shoulder you can imagine. This is a debut novel 
It's contemporary with elements of history and light horror woven in via the ghosts uh, that Sarah encounters. It's really engaging immediately, and it's got a really fresh voice and offers a powerful exploration of family, culture, and the many ways that grief can manifest. There is not any romance in this book, which I found refreshing. And the friendship story between Sarah and Sam plays a huge part in helping Sarah grieve and helping her find healing through the changes happening in her family and her life more broadly. Um, This one is for you if you like inclusive intergenerational stories with a touch of non-realism in the otherwise contemporary setting. And that is House of Yesterday by Deba Zargarpur. All right. So my next pick is out in paperback today. And I cannot believe that it came out a year ago. I didn't talk about it on the show when it came out last year. But I'm excited to tell you about it today because if you're looking for a really immersive, beautiful, heart-squeezing family novel, this is it. It is a debut novel about an Indian-American mother and son and the choices, guilt, and regrets that they have. It's called Tell Me How to Be by Neil Patel. It's about a woman named Renu and her son Akash. A year ago, Renu's husband, who is Akash's father, died. And in that time since that happened, she's been alone in the house. She's been doing a lot of thinking. And even though it makes her feel a little guilty, she's been wondering, did she make the right choice 30 years ago? She used to live in London when she was young. There was a man that she almost married, but instead she chose Akash's father. And they moved to Illinois, and she had Akash and his brother. And these are the decisions that she made. But now she's wondering... You know, was it the right decision? So she reaches out to her former suitor on Facebook, and it opens the floodgates for a lot more emotions and decisions and and thoughts about the past. And she decides she's going to sell the family home. Uh, Now, meanwhile, Akash lives in Los Angeles, and he's kind of miserable. He has a lot of regrets and shame about his life, Uh, He was made to feel bad growing up for not being perfect like his brother. He was made to feel shame for being attracted to men by many people in his community and his home and, and, you know, the media. Uh, And Akash is an alcoholic now, and he also feels shame about that. So when his mother tells him she's selling the home, he decides he's going to go to Illinois to get closure Uh, And maybe make some changes in his life. Maybe a trip out to Illinois to say goodbye to his family home is what he needs to shake his life up and, you know, start some some new direction. But, of course, it comes with more emotions and memories for him as well. And Renu and Akash are going to have to have a reckoning with their decisions and what the future brings. You know, because as much as you wish you could change the past, it's not possible. So how do you move forward to the future? I do want to give content warnings. You know, like I said, he there is a lot of shame in this book. Uh, there's racism, xenophobia, body shaming, homophobia, bullying, violence, chemical use and abuse, miscarriage, and loss of a loved one. It's really an incredible debut novel. It's Tell Me How to Be by Neil Patel. My next pick is one that I finished up last night um, because I was really enjoying the reading experience of this one. And it is Never Ever Getting Back Together by Sophie Gonzalez. And yes, the song title is 
going to make perfect sense here. Anyway, so Jordy is a guy who has earned himself a bit of a reputation. He is the younger brother of a girl who married a crown prince. And beyond his storied dating history, he has now captured the hearts and eyes of an entire country as an eligible teen bachelor. So it makes perfect sense then that a reality TV show decides he'd be the perfect star for their new idea. The premise is that each of his ex-girlfriends will all be competing to recapture his heart and attention. So two girls are the main focus of the story. There's Maya and there's Sky. Maya and Sky are, as you might guess, rivals. Uh, at least that's Maya's perspective on things. Jordy cheated on her with Sky during their relationship, and Maya enters the competition reluctantly, knowing that she wants revenge on Sky and to set the record straight. Because how dare another girl take her boyfriend? Sky, of course, is kind of clueless about this. But as soon as the show begins to tape, she is given more than the cold shoulder by Maya, who is also, of course, her roommate. Why is Maya so cold? This reality TV show is meant to be fun and not super serious. So she doesn't get why Maya is Maya is so mean toward her, especially since it seems Maya doesn't even really like Jordy. And then finally, Maya cracks and explains what happened, that she's mad at Sky for stealing her boyfriend, and Sky, who is completely unaware this happened, now begins to understand Maya a bit better. And the two of them begin to grow closer and closer, until they kiss, and sparks begin to fly. And maybe rather than trying to win Jordy's heart, the two of them team up to ensure one of them wins the competition so that they can turn their ire for Jordy's cheating back onto him. They will do it through teamwork, through some hijinks, and by buttering up to Jordy over and over, even if it's not their typical style. Even if it means the budding romance between Maya and Skye has to be tamped down more than either can stand. Gonzalez's book is a romp. It's a rom-com with this really ridiculous TV show, reality TV show premise at the center. Um, but at the heart of the book is this idea of how cheating can pit two innocent people against one another in ways that create a lot more harm than anything else. And in this case, we see Maya holds a lot of deep resentment for Sky, despite the fact Sky has no idea she was the quote unquote other woman. And let me reiterate, they're all teenagers here, seeking the attention of the guy who has been thrust into royalty himself. And now with the reality TV element, they're playing up to that audience as well. It's an absolutely wild premise, but it makes for a lot of humor and a lot of absurd situations and a really sweet queer romance between two girls who decide they're not there for Jordy, they're there for themselves and, as luck would have it, for each other. Um, this is one to read if you're looking for a light and quick romance with lots of laughs. And I will say it does have some good, like, laugh out loud moments. And there's also a much deserved happily ever after. You know what's going to happen from the beginning of this one. And yet it's completely satisfying start to finish. And that is Never Ever Getting Back Together by Sophie Gonzalez. So I don't know if you remember the video for that song, the Taylor Swift song, um, but in her apartment, the wallpaper is cable knit sweater, and I fell so in love with that when I saw it that when I got my office, I was like, I want that wallpaper from the Taylor Swift video. But it turns out it was made exclusively for that video. Big surprise. Oh. <laughs> and you can actually have wallpaper made that is any design or print or picture that you want, but it's like a gazillion dollars. Yeah, so, of course. So I went with all the stickers instead um, <laughs> because it basically cost me 
the same to do all the stickers in my office as it was to do like one sheet of you know print your own <laughs> wallpaper. But I do I love that wallpaper so much. I have to admit I haven't seen it. Like I'm not a music video person. Yeah. Um, so, but I I believe it. I yeah I don't watch a lot of music videos, but I think what ended up happening was I watched some show, some late night show where Jimmy Eat World covered that song, and that mm. led me to like watching her video. And then I was like, I want that wallpaper. <laughs> yeah. So maybe someday. Um, so those are some of today's releases, hardcover and paperback, that we are excited about. And now here are some more that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I am going to lead with one that I'm just going to tell you straight up before I start discussing it, that this is a, a discussion of the loss of a young child. So if that's something that uh, you are sensitive to, you might want to skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, this is a memoir. I have not read it yet, but it's getting tons of press. You've probably heard about it already. It's called A Heart That Works by Rob Delaney. Rob Delaney is a comedian and an actor. I knew him from Twitter. I used to follow him on Twitter. I don't even know if he still has a Twitter account, but he was so funny. And then he got a job as an actor starring on Catastrophe with my crush, Sharon Horgan. Watch Bad Sisters. She's the best. Uh, And during the filming of this show, Catastrophe, he and his wife moved with their two young sons to London, where his wife had their third son, Henry. Um, Because that's where, like I said, the show was being shot. Uh, And when Henry was a year old, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And this is his story about what it was like to have this big break as a writer and as an actor. And instead, trying to balance that with the devastating news that, you know, his son was dying. And, you know, what he and his family had to go through during that time. Because two years later, Henry did die. And this is Delaney's story about that time, about the love and grace that can be found even in the most heartbreaking times. Uh, I've watched a couple of interviews with him or read a couple of interviews, excuse me. Uh, and you know, it's been picked for a bunch of book clubs and it's already on like the lists for best book of the year. It has, a, like I said, a million amazing reviews. And I'm saving this one for when I feel like I need a good cry. Because sometimes, you know, you just feel like you need one. And uh, there's no way that this won't do the trick. It just sounds really beautiful and full of love. It is A Heart That Works by Rob Delaney. My next pick is called She and Her Cat by Makoto Shinkai, Naruki Nagakawa, and translated by Ginny Tapley Takemori. So this is my one didn't get a chance to read it title in this episode. And honestly, I'm kind of sad I didn't get to it because it sounds like the kind of delightful and unexpected read I could really go for right now. But of course, what's beautiful is it's out today and I've got a couple long weekends coming up. So it will be hitting my hands ASAP. So She and Her Cat is a collection of four short interconnected stories about young women and their feline companions. Uh, The stories are narrated by the female leads as well as the animals, and the stories explore things like how fragile life can be, how loneliness can feel, and what the limits of communication, human and otherwise, can be. Through the book, uh, excuse me, though the book explores some darker stuff, this one is described as whimsical and magical, as it highlights just how weird and wonderful this thing called life can be. All the stories are set in the same small Tokyo neighborhood, and they follow an office worker and the stray that she adopts, an artist who bonds with the local stray cat, 
a girl who is dealing with a lot of grief and who is helped by a kitten, and a woman who is isolated that convinces a feral cat to come inside her home and keep her company. So along with being a short story collection, this book is also really short. It clocks in at like 100... 150 pages, a little less than 150 pages. Uh, So it's a nice read between your beefier books. Shin Kai, one of the creators of the collection, is well known for anime. And inspiration grew from his work, so you'll likely see some anime-like storytelling and description, which to me sounds really awesome. That is She and Her Cat by Makoto Shinkai, Naruki Nagakawa, and translated by Ginny Tapley Takemori. This one is at the top of my list of books to buy. It actually comes out uh, on the 22nd, uh, so it will be available when this show airs. And it's the first thing I'm going to get tomorrow because it sounds amazing. And I was surprised, or not really surprised, when I heard that the author did anime because I've been reading a lot of anime lately where it's like, cat massage, Mm -hmm. the cat as a bartender, the cat who helps me play video games. They're so ridiculous and just great and just full of cats. Uh And so... I was very sad also that I did not get to this one before the show because, <laughs> and so when I saw that you were going to talk about it, I was like, yay! Yeah. Because it sounds fun. It immediately immediately made me think of the cat massage parlor because I read that manga earlier this year and it was just bizarre enough to be in, endearing, if that makes sense. You're just like, this is yeah. so weird. I love it. Like, it feels good. And this this book sounds like it does too. Yeah. And also, I realized now, I think I just said I've been reading a lot of anime when I meant to say manga. But yes, cats, cartoons, cats and everything. Yay. So my last pick for today is another one I have not read. It is All the Blood We Share, a novel of the Bloody Benders of Kansas by Camilla Bruce. Doing a complete 180 from the last book I talked about. Uh, Last year, I read Camilla Bruce's book In the Garden of Spite about Belle Gunness, who was the most prolific female serial killer in America. This one is about the true story of, well, it's a fictionalized version of the true story of a whole family of serial killers in the Old West. There was a mother, father, son, and daughter, the Benders, who lived in Kansas. Their modus operandi was to invite victims into their home. Their daughter, Kate, was a medium, and she would say that she was going to give them a reading or they would be invited in to have a meal, and they would always be sat at the table with their back to a long curtain that separated the room. And somewhere while this this conversation was going on or dinner was happening, one of the other family members would reach through the curtain and grab them and terrible things would happen and they would end up buried on the farm. And this happened quite a lot because, you know, back then we didn't have the internet or phones or anything to say, hey, where are these people? Uh, and it happened quite a few times before people became suspicious And that's something I think about a lot. Like when I think about old crimes, like, and people disappearing, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, you know, like you could just wander off, go be someone else. And most likely nobody would know like that you were a different person. Like, and how many people today are, you know, the descendants of people who changed their identities completely? Like, I I like to just think about these really random things. Um, But, you know, also, and like people would, you know, go off and be like, oh, I'm going to go stay at this boarding house or I'm going to, you know, and. And then they would disappear and someone would say, oh, they moved on. And like, how do you know? Like, who knows? It's wild. So it's going to be very, very dark, I'm sure. Uh, But uh, it's my kind of book. It is called All the Blood We Share, a novel of the Bloody Benders of Kansas by Camilla Bruce. 
So my last pick is Sunburn by Andy Watson and Simon Gain. And I want you to picture this. It is snowing outside. There's like two inches of snow on the ground, but it's coming down and it's frigid. We're talking like teens um, for highs. That's not the wind chill. So you're curled up in this comfy chair in a Huga-inspired hotel room. Like, what are you reading? The answer to that is this book, which is precisely what I did this weekend uh, while up in northern Wisconsin, where it was very, very cold, like unseasonably cold. This is a standalone comic, and it's the story of a teen girl named Rachel who gets the adventure of a lifetime that may or may not have been everything she hoped it would be. So Rachel lives in England, and her family is pretty, like, middle of the road in terms of economics, in terms of, like, just their middle class, maybe even lower middle class. Um, And the time frame of the story is a little unclear, but it's a time when phones were still on walls and not in pockets. And so Rachel is preparing for the summer, which is looking to be pretty average. She'll be working at a local butcher shop, and maybe her family will take, like, a you know, driving vacation, so they won't go very far. Everything changes, though, when a family friend invites Rachel to spend the summer with them in Greece, and she jumps at the opportunity, thinking about how magical and romantic such an experience would be, and it sure looks to be that way. The Warrens, uh, the family that she's staying with, are the real opposite of her family. They are wealthy and they are social. They love to party. And every night seems to be full of new people and experiences. And they introduce Rachel to this guy named Benjamin. It's not any sort of like immediate chemistry. But as Rachel starts to get some warnings about this guy, they seem to be getting a little bit closer. And then Rachel unravels the truth about the family she's with, the Warners, and about Benjamin discovering just how much drama can exist on this small Greek island and just how much of a facade some of what she's seen and experienced in this summer can be. And maybe she discovers that it's not as romantic as she thought it was supposed to be or could be or was. So I, I'll start out by saying the story in the book is fine. Like, don't get me wrong, it's it's fine. But the art in the comic is what really, really sings. It's colored in blues and beiges and whites, and it evokes the summer vacation without question. But more, it really captures both the romantic feel of such a vacation while also portraying something slightly ominous behind it. Throughout as a reader, you know not everything as it seems because the art does such a good job of like carrying that part of the story. This is a quick read, but you'll really be spending a lot of time pouring over the details in the art as you go. I, I love the collaboration and I thought that it just, I don't know, it was, it was a cozy graphic novel that did everything I needed it to do. And that is Sunburn by Andy Watson and Simon Gain. All right, before I tell you about a few paperbacks out today, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. 
and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so we are in holiday season. The number of books being released has dropped way, 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 way down. Uh, I noticed when I was looking through the catalogs this past weekend, and there were half as many pages of results as there usually are. I was like, I must have done something wrong. But no, it's just that time of year, which will go by very quickly, and we'll be back to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books again, which is great. So these are a few paperbacks that are coming out today, worth noting. The first being White on White by Aishagul Savas. It's about a student who rents an apartment from a painter named Agnes so that the student can research gothic nudes. And Agnes comes back to the city and moves into the studio above the apartment uh, and proceeds to tell the student her life story. Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, one of the biggest books of the year. Seems impossible to believe that it's out in the paperback already, but February was a long time ago. Uh, This is about a brother and sister who receive a black cake and a voice message from their mother after she dies. It explains her life, which is a wild history and a story that they knew nothing about. Chemical Hearts by Crystal Sutherland, a YA novel about first love, which is soon to be a movie. So I thought I'd mention that. And also they changed the title for the paperback. It used to be Our Chemical Hearts. So apparently for the paperback and for the movie title, it's just Chemical Hearts now. Apparently, there were complaints, a memoir by Sharon Gless. Gless is the Emmy Award-winning actress, and she dishes on five decades of work in Hollywood. She was Cagney in Cagney and Lacey. She was on Queer as Folk. She was on Burn Notice. And I haven't read this, but it sounds fabulous. Got lots of great reviews. The Duchess Countess, the woman who scandalized 18th century London by Catherine Ostler. This is a history book about... Elizabeth Chudley, who was maid of honor to the Princess of Wales and lived a very scandalous life of privilege. William Thackeray eventually wrote Vanity Fair with her in mind. So if you've read that, that's who Becky was based on. 
Cameron Battle and the Hidden Kingdoms by Jamar J. Perry. This is the start of a middle grade series inspired by West African mythology about a young boy who has read a book of mythology stories his whole life, and then one day when he opens it, it magically transports him to a new world which might have a connection to his parents who disappeared two years ago. Here's to Us by Becky Albertalli and Adam Silvera. The sequel to What If It's Us by two New York Times best-selling authors, which continues the story of Ben and Arthur. And Factory Girls by Michelle Galen, which is set in the summer of 1994 about a young woman working a summer job in a shirt factory in Northern Ireland. So those are some of the notable paperbacks out today. Kelly, what are you going to read next? So I think my next book, because I just, I finished one last night, so I haven't actually picked anything up just yet. But I think it's going to be White Out by Nicola Yoon, Danielle Clayton, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, Nick Stone, and Tiffany D. Jackson. And it is a collection of interconnected stories set during a whiteout uh, snow storm in Atlanta. I loved, loved, loved Blackout, which was their first like collab. And so I'm really looking forward to this one and think it's perfect to read as we are now in snow season where I'm at. What about you? What are you reading? So I am reading The Sleeping Car Porter by Suzette Mayer, which I mentioned because we're recording this so early. Um, it is the winner of the uh, Giller Scotiabank Giller Prize. Giller Scotiabank. I can't remember how to say it now. Um, which is really great. And I'm also rereading Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajibrenya, which uh, comes out April 4th, which I have already read and raved about, but... I tweeted about it last week, and a whole bunch of my friends are reading it now, so I want to do a reread with them, because this is going to be the best book of next year, and it ruined my life. I can't stop thinking about it. Like, ruined it in the best possible way, and I cannot wait for everyone to read this book. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. And that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Kelly, what is your online spot of choice these days? Ugh, I'm still on Twitter until it disappears, I guess. Yeah. And I'm at Veronica Kelly Mars there. All right. And I mostly hang out on Instagram, although I am trying this new hive thing, which is just Liberty Hardy. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive and Liberty Hardy at uh, Hive, which I had not heard of until yesterday. But it's shiny and new and full of colors so far. So that's good. <laughs> uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And just because I want to say it one more time, but, and in the meantime, but happy reading. (laughs) Ha, 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 